it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode 693 for July 23rd, 2021. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchotts back with Programming by Stealth installment 121. How are you doing today, Bart? I am doing good. Um, we are just on the tail end of a heat wave, which uh, has, it's been interesting to live in a different climate for a week. So, <laughs> yeah, you, glad you, it's you, finishing up tomorrow, but it was nice for a week. That's funny. You're glad it's finishing up. <laughs> I, I, I would like to sleep just just the one night. Oh, oh, because it's too hot. It was 17 degrees at 3 a.m. last night. Let's see what is that in in uh, freedom units. <laughs> Normally, I'm happy if it's that at wait. Noon. That's 62. That's cold. 17. 17 degrees, at, yeah, but at 3 a.m., not at noon, not at 3 p.m., at 3 a.m., as in when I'm supposed to be asleep. For most of the year, it doesn't reach 12 degrees at noon. Wow. Your, your frame of reference is much different than mine. <laughs> uh, we'd have we a fire have going. We'd more humidity, though. Yeah, I suppose. I actually, well, no, because like, when we go on holidays to Spain, it can be 33, 34 Celsius, and I'm fine. And in Ireland, it gets to 26, and it's like, oh, I'm melting. Anyway. All anyway, right. Well, we have an exciting show today, something you've been promising us for a while now. Let's get started. Okay, so right from the start, right, when, I, when we started talking about version control, I did say we would be looking at it to do our source code, because obviously we're programming by stealth. But I did sort of go out of my way to say that it's not only for managing source code. You can use Git to manage all sorts of things. And I think we've already told the listeners quite a few times that we do all of our show notes in Git. And I know some of the listeners are starting to do that now because I have had pull requests with typo fixes. So uh, thank you very much, dear listeners, for, uh, you know, when you spot a problem, fix it and send it our way. We greatly appreciate it. So That's I did right. also like that one of the most that was. Uh, if I get cracking, it will tell me. Uh, but I love one of them was called very, was it extremely nitpicky typo fixes? <laughs> I thought was, was, was a good, uh, a good pull re- or a good title for a pull request. And that would be by a listener, Stephen. Very cool. Very cool. And, uh, Michael Westbay contributed to the, uh, PBS gallery showing his really cool, uh, clock challenge. Indeed, he did. Which I got to merge two pull. I got to merge three pull requests actually because uh, Stephen sent me two. One of them was just you know changes your to yud in all the early one hundreds notes. Obviously, <laughs> I'd been typoing like crazy. Um, but the nitpicky typo fixes made me smile. So thank you. <laughs> anyway, so we know it's for more. Um, and then the other thing, the other development, I'm hoping you're going to start to see more of in your nerdy life is the more you start to use command line tools and developer tools of all sorts, especially the open source stuff that's, you know, for the, the more Unixy, Linuxy world, right? Your Bash shells, your ZSH, all of the, the more you start to use all of these tools, you're going to start building up more and more config files. Right. And a big part of the Linux, Unix philosophy is that config should be human readable. Um, in fact, a lot of people don't know why on Linux you have a folder called slash etc. They think it means etc. It actually stands for editable text configuration. I never knew that. I've seen it before, but I never knew that. 
Yeah, it's basically your config dir, but it's editable text configuration. So that whole idea of having plain text config files is very much in the Unixy Linuxy mindset. And it's also in the Unixy Linuxy mindset that everything of yours should be in your home folder. And that means that your configs will be in your home folder, but you don't want to be looking at them all the time. They'd just be in your way. They'd be annoying. So in POSIX-style operating system, so your Unix, Linux, Mac, if you begin a file name with a period symbol or a dot or a full stop, it is invisible in file listings by default, unless you explicitly say, show me everything with the minus A flag to LS. Right. So the convention has emerged that you save your per-user configs in your text human-readable text files with file or folder names starting with a dot sitting at the root level of your home folder. And for very obvious reasons, we tend to call these your dot files. So if you use SSH a lot, you'll have a folder called .ssh in your home directory, which will contain known hosts, authorized keys, maybe a config file if you do strange things. I always have an SSH config file. (laughs) So... The more you start to use tools, the more you're going to get these. So last week we talked about Git Ignore, where you could have stuff that applies to your whole account by sticking oh, right. it into tilde slash dot git ignore underscore local. Sorry, underscore global. So that is another example. So every time you start to use more of these command line tools, you start to build up more of these dot files. Well, and, and when you were talking about the uh, SSH keys, we have definitely worked on that in uh, in the Git series with setting up our Git clients, right? Correct. Yes, exactly. So. The more you do on the command line and the more you do nerdy programmy stuff, the more of these dot files you are going to build up. And the chances are high that if you're the kind of person who enjoys these series, you have more than one computer. There's a pretty good chance of that. Right. Or you're going to change computers. Or you're going to change computers or you're going to do a new can pave or you're going to play with some beta and then decide you'd like to go back after all. So... Actually managing these dot files, which are conveniently hidden right up until the point you forget that they're there, actually, and that you rely on them a lot, and then you do a new can pave, and you go, I should, oh, dear. <laughs> or, uh, here's a perfect solution, Bart. You make a giant mind map of Doom that has every <laughs> single configuration file annotated in your mind map. That's how come I didn't lose mine when I did my last new can pave. Probably not the best solution. <laughs> You're way more organized than me. Um, so... Actually managing them is actually, it's going to become more and more valuable to you as you go. And a tool that I have found that I find very useful is Shamewa. So there are lots of other tools, but there's no point in me sharing one I don't use. So this is the one I use. I really like it. So I'm going to share it with everyone. And so let's spell you- that out. It's C-H-E-Z-M-O-I, and that means my house in French. Or my home, I guess. Oh, no, probably house. better. Yeah, yeah. So exactly, which is a nice pun. So, um, yeah. So we've already talked about that. Uh, we should also actually that even on Windows. So if you take your nerdy Linuxy tools and you port them to Windows, the convention when you do that, like when you take Git to Windows is that you actually put the dot files in people's home directory, but instead of using tilde, which is the POSIX symbol for my home directory, so tilde slash dot git config or tilde slash dot git, un- git ignore underscore global, you would use percent home drive percent percent home path percent, 
which generally translates to C colon for percent home drive percent and backslash users backslash your username is what percent home path percent expands to. <laughs> so for Windows people, where we say tilde slash tilde slash dot git config, they say percent home drive percent percent home path percent backslash dot git config. Sorry, but all those percents, and especially like if it was a percent P, it sounds like that uh, that hack that's been going around for iPhones <laughs> that locks them up if you use that as a uh, an SSID. Now, that's a very topical, a time-sensitive joke, and I shouldn't make those in programming by stealth. These are evergreen episodes. True. So the Windows people do can play along too, and Shema is actually uh, cross-platform, so it does actually work on Windows too. I've never that's used fine. it on Windows, but apparently it works. Um, but for the rest of this installment, as it has been the case for the entire series, the examples are going to be on a, you know, a POSIX style operating system, which by the way, on Windows land, you can also do because Windows now has the Linux subsystem for Windows, which is actually quite frankly, really good, ah. especially the newer versions of LSW. So, you know, there's no reason modern Windows people can't play along with all this stuff thanks to the Linux subsystem. So there we are. By the way, if uh, if at the end of this you're interested, but you want to look at other um, dot file managers in our Slack, if you do a search for Chez Moi, you'll find that uh, L Butler has been doing working on some of them. Um, I posted one, but uh, Ben, listener Ben, did one uh, on. There's actually a GitHub page, dot slash utilities and you can find a list of all of them. So you could experiment with them all and get nothing done. Yeah, do that. <laughs> but anyway, that's a... That's very a, much the open source way. Go go join our Slack and you can go find that. Yes, and you should join our Slack anyway because it's a good place to have conversations with fellow nerds. Right. Um, at this stage in the series, at the very least, you almost certainly have a tilde slash dot git config because every time you use the git command, git space config space minus minus, that should say global, not local in the show notes. Um you're actually writing to that tilde slash dot git config file, but git will do it for you so that you don't make typos. So you mm. can't break the format if you do it with the git git config command. Uh, and while you're fixing that typo, Alison, your really should have an apostrophe in it. Uh, yeah, let's see. Every time you use the git config dash s global command, your, there we go. Yeah, so okay. I obviously was quite asleep as I was writing these shows. There we are. <laughs> Um, so if you just do cat space tilde slash dot git config, you're almost certainly going to see stuff in there already. And also a lot of git GUI clients also add stuff to this config file for you. So when I look at mine, which is shown in the show notes, there's a whole bunch of stuff there from source tree. So obviously Hmm. it's been busy doing stuff. Oh yeah. Source tree's playing around in there. Hmm. Huh. So you know, so you you have at least one dot file, probably more. Uh, in fact, if you're curious as to how many dot files you have, the uh, ls command for listing files in the terminal it takes uh, two relevant arguments minus a for show all, and minus one for list everything one line at a time. It's basically minus one is like minus l, but without all the extra glop to confuse you. It just puts it one file per line and doesn't show you all the metadata. Hmm. Um. And then if you pipe that through the egrep command to use a regular expression, our favorite things, we can search for everything that starts with the period symbol. And if you do that while you're in your home directory, what you will see is all of your dot files. And uh, 
for me, that's quite a lot of dot files. That says I have three, and none of them is is. Uh, Are you in your home directory? That seems very implausible. Uh, PWD. I'm in slash. Right. So then you're not in your home directory. I'm not. I could actually update the command to this. Probably I'll make a note of if I can stick. Yeah. LS minus one tilde should do it, and then pipe that into grep. That should work from any directory. Ah, got a lot more now that I moved into tilde. So what do you what do you want it to say? Uh, I think I wanted to say LS space minus one a space tilde then the pipe, okay. um, which I'm about to paste into my own terminal to see if I do want it to say that. All right, I'm going into the wrong directory and going to test it. We're going to real time fix the show notes. Indeed, it works because I just went to slash and it worked. Yep, that worked. Fixed. Perfect. All right. Excellent. Oh, yeah, now I have glops of it. Nothing Nothing as impressive as yours, but not too bad. Yeah, it, you build it up, right? It, it it builds up over time. Dropbox. So Cups. Yeah, even Dropbox. Which is, yeah, it's interesting that it would store it there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Obviously, SSH, I'm guessing, is in there. VS, VS Code. Code is another one. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you're probably not going to have CPAN. You're not a Perl programmer. No, uh, you not yet. You might have Cups, though. The I common do have Unix cups. printing system. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, in my from my point of view, there are three problems I want solved. I want versioning because I make mistakes. I make silly typos and things and end up breaking perfectly functional ZSH or C files. And then I put in some invalid code and I end up with a giant big mess. So versioning oh. so that I can go back in time when I make a boo-boo. I want that. Hmm. I also want the ability to have a backup restore. So basically, if my computer dies, I want to be able to just get my dot .files back. If I do a nuke and pave, I want to be able to get my dot .files back. And frankly, if I move to another computer, not only do I want to be able to get a copy of my dot .files the way they were at some point in time, when I find a cool new thing, and I do it on one of my computers, I want it to go to all of them, actually. Mm-mm. So I actually want an active sync, right? I don't just want give me a copy of how it was last week. I I want I want sync. Right. So those are the three problems I wanted solved, and Shaywa solves them all extremely well for me. Wow, I thought I actually thought we were getting sync, but I didn't know we were getting versioning and backup and restore. Cool. Yeah, because Shaywa doesn't reinvent the wheel. It is. So remember I said that Git is as much an API that other... Like, Git is available as a C library, so other apps can use Git as their brain and basically do whatever they want on top of that brain. So Shema is a dot .file manager which uses Git as its brain. Oh. Which means it gets versioning, it gets the ability to add a remote. So I, I have the canonical copy of my dot .files is actually sitting up as a private GitHub repo. And then I can just do a git push and git pull as and when I want to sync my dot .files across my computers. <laughs> so the homepage for Shema is at shema.io. It is open source and, like so much of the open source world, it is hosted on GitHub. So there is also a link in the show notes to the GitHub repo. It is also cross-platform, Windows, Linux, and Mac. And as I've just said, it's built on top of Git. Now, it is also focused and opinionated, which is why I like it. So it is entirely dedicated to managing user-level files, right? It's literally in the name. And the FAQ tells you straight up, if you want to use Shamewa to manage system-level files, don't bother, you're just going to frustrate yourself. And it actually lists a whole bunch of popular tools 
whose job in life is to manage system level config files, stuff like Puppet and there's loads of them. So it's not trying to be everything. It is trying to be a manager of user config files. And it's that focus that makes it good at its job, in my opinion. It also has a very clearly defined model of the universe. And it sticks to it. So once you think of the world the way it does, everything just makes sense and all the commands are intuitive and stuff. But if your worldview is incompatible with its worldview, <laughs> go to our Slack, pick one of the other options and find one that's compatible with your worldview because Chema is not trying to accommodate everyone's whims. It does a thing, it does it a way, and it's, it's, it's serious about it. It does it that way. And if you don't like it that way, don't use it. And I, I like it. I like that about the app. But some people may dislike the app for exactly the same reasons I love it. This does remind me of many years ago when you tried to convince me to start using Aperture to manage my, my photos library. And you were trying to convince me to give up control and let it do it the way it wanted to. And I, w- I refused. And I've been listening to Casey List on the Accidental Tech Podcast. And he's right back where I was. He's starting Apple Photos with 70,000 photos. And boy, is it chafing because he wants to control everything and he can't control anything. <laughs> yeah. So just don't worry your pretty little head about it. Let do it, let it do it the way it wants to do it. do it. Don't fight it. Or if you can't stand that, find something else. Exactly. So I would say don't try to swim upstream. It's not going to work. If this isn't for you, it isn't for you. You know, tune in in a few episodes time. We'll have moved on to a new topic and you can carry on. Mm-hmm. So I'm not by any means saying that this is the one and only right way because our Slack is full of many other perfectly good ways of doing this um another interesting thing is that because it's very open source so there is no secret sauce right there is a reference manual which explains everything the app does in amazing detail like really amazing detail and the faq explains why the decisions were made that were made. So when I say it's an opinionated app, it has made decisions. And the FAQ actually explains why those decisions were made, which I kind of like too. But despite the fact that it's extremely open about how it does everything, it doesn't enforce that on you. So the command allows you to treat the entire thing as a black box. I give it these commands, it will do the right thing, and I don't have to understand how. Or you can use it as like a crystal box and you can choose to interact with it at the absolute lowest level and just peel away all the covers and really work with it at its behind the scenes under the hood level. Or you can pick and choose and say that for some tasks, I'm going to treat it as a black box and for other tasks, it's just easier that I do it myself. And for me personally, I use it as a black box 99% of the time. The one exception being when it comes to doing the Git stuff, I'm better at Git than it is. And I just basically, I do the Git stuff by hand. Hmm. But it doesn't care because like I say, you could do almost everything by hand or you can do let the commands do it for you. And it doesn't care, which I think is very interesting yeah. for open source stuff. Very interesting it, it, does it do the Git stuff wrong or just not no. the way Bart likes it? It even does it the way I want, but I just find it easier to just use the commands I know instead okay. of learning new commands. Okay, okay. So if we chose to go pure black box, we wouldn't be in trouble from a Git perspective. We wouldn't be in trouble, but I, I don't know. I just, I just so comfortable with Git. 
I just let me I, let me do it my way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. But as a student, perhaps we could end up there, and that would be you wouldn't uh, we wouldn't be in trouble. Exactly. Okay. So I've just told you it has a worldview. So let's talk about that worldview. So before we get into the nitty gritty, there's three big picture things I want to sort of hammer home. So the first and most important one is that Shema will utterly, completely and totally ignore everything you don't explicitly tell it to care about. Hmm. So you can install it and you can initialize it and it will track nothing until you tell it to track that file, that file and that file. And I really like that about it because it means that particularly if you mix and match between work and personal and stuff, it's not going to go and shove anything off to a Git repository behind your back. Until you tell it to care, it doesn't know about the file. So you can't tell it to care about all dot files? But you could, you, yeah, absolutely. You can use, you know, uh, you could use a regular expression, basically anything that starts with it. So dot star mm-hmm. and just add them all. And new ones being added would still be... No, as you add new stuff, you'd have to add it. But that's very much the same way Git works, right? Okay. In fact, okay. the reason this is all very Git-like is because this is Git under the hood. Sure. Right? So when you add a new file into a Git repository, it doesn't go in automatically. You have to tell it to care about it. Right. So Shema applies the same logic. Well, you tell it to care about it. Hmm. Uh, I created that folder of called Do Not Upload. And because I told it that this whole folder was the repo everything in do not upload got uploaded or got got gitted you must have clicked add into a commit or it could not have in a gui it would have shown up in a list of changes and you would have gone and staged and committed it okay it was quite a long time ago so i would i would agree that that's what happened yes so the first thing is it won't it won't track stuff until you tell it to track it the second thing is that the actual master copy of what you've told it to manage is not in your, well, it is in your home directory, but it's not at the base of your home directory. The true canonical copy, the master copy, is in tilde slash dot local forward slash share forward slash shame So that is actually the Git repo. And that is what you sync between your computers. And in shame jargon, this is your source directory. Okay. You said this is tilde dot local share chamois. Yes. So that's you don't the, have to remember that. that. I'm just telling you that you don't have to remember that okay. because it it will do that for you. It stores fact, canonical copies of the files. So yes. it goes and so grabs my my dot git kraken config file and it stores it in there too. Correct. Which huh. means that you can make changes and then say now apply that change to my home directory. So you can tinker away at stuff and then deploy. Inside Shemois. Inside Shemois. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Or you can do vice versa. You can tinker about with it in your actual home directory, get it the way you want, and then tell Shemois to update its copy from your home directory. Okay. Or you can break it by accident and then tell Shemois to rescue you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> which is, I'll be honest, that's what happens mostly with me. So I would tend to edit the real file. If I don't break it, I will send the real file into Shemois. And if I do break it, I'll basically put the reset button by pulling the canonical copy that worked back out. Okay. Okay, got it. And then the last thing is, if 
Right, you do not have to ever look inside that tilde slash whatever folder. You never have to look in there if you don't want to. If you choose to, you will discover that it has renamed all of your files ah. in there. Okay. And it does so in an extremely well-defined naming scheme that ensures that there is a one-to-one mapping which works in both ways. It's a bi-directional one-to-one mapping between names, paths, and properties, and it makes sure that nothing in that canonical folder is hidden. So there's a whole bunch of rules. They're described in great detail in the manual, but a classic example is tilde slash dot zshn becomes dot underscore zshn inside Shamewell's folder, inside the source directory. So it changes it to dot underscore instead of dot. The dot. Correct, which means it's not a hidden file anymore. Oh, okay. Which is way handier for trying to edit it and stuff. Hmm. But it has these rules. They're really well defined in the manual. You never have to know this unless you want to know this. So this is, again, part of that whole, do you want the covers on or do you want the covers off? You can work with Shamewa either way. If you pull the covers back, you will find all the files renamed. It's not arbitrary. It's extremely well defined and documented. So there is also some jargon which you need to understand to be able to read the manual. So the whole concept is a very simple idea. You define what Chema calls the source state, which it converts to a machine-specific target state that it then applies to a destination directory. So the source state is what you think the universe should be. It converts your definition of what the universe should be into an actual copy of that. And that it calls its target state. And the input actually to get the target is your source state plus information about the computer it's running on. And those two get combined to create the output. Because there's an entire templating engine built in here. So you can have it do slightly different things on Windows versus a Mac. So that it doesn't break. Okay, I've got kind of a blank look on my face because this is so amorphous, I can't picture it at all. I okay. don't uh I don't know what a state is. I don't know what a target is. I don't know what I don't know what any okay, of these things are. They they don't ste- exist. I know I know you don't. I know you don't. But what you want you to do is I want you to set back that the way Shamewell thinks of it is you define your desired reality. Right? Isn't this just typing text files? What do you mean desired reality? It's not just typing text files because you have five computers and on all of your five computers, you have a git config file. Okay. And your git config file contains your contact email address. But on three of those computers, it's your work self. And on two of those computers, it's your personal self. Okay. Shane Watt can manage changing the file depending on what computer you're on. Okay. And my vision of a future state or a, a destination state is a specific actual output file. So you say that on this computer, I want you to do this, and on that computer, I want you to do that. That's your input. That's your definition of what you... That's your source. Okay. And the output is an actual exact file. So the output is a text file. Okay. Right? So on this Mac, my address is blah. But a source state is more like a set of rules? Correct. So you have one source state on all of your five computers, and on each computer, it could be a different output. Okay. 
So you might have three Windows machines and they'll get a slightly different output. Two work machines versus two home machines, they'll get a slightly different output. So you define what you want reality to be and then your definition plus the information about the computer you're on equals the output. Okay. I think I follow. And the output gets written to your destination, which is your home directory. So what I want reality to be gets translated into actual files they could put into your home directory. Okay. I'm glad I asked because I had none Absolutely. of that was yeah. in my head. That's, why, okay. that's literally why you're here. <laughs> to go, and what? the jargon used is source state converted to target state, which is applied to destination directory. So the target state so is, the, is the output files? Is the actual output that sits in your home directory. Okay. All right. And your source state and your destination and your target state are made up of so-called targets. And a target is a file, a folder, or a symlink. So they are the only three things that can be managed with Shema. Files, folders, symlinks. So the other thing that I'm going to mention because it becomes important is that every target in your source state has metadata associated with it, which are called attributes. And the most important attribute of all is, is this a plain text file or is this a template? So think of it like a JavaScript string versus a mustache string. Okay. Why would I have a a, uh, template in this context? Again, we come to the example of... The email address would be a template? Like it's going to be email? Exactly. But I haven't exactly. told you, you have a variable is. name called email. And then okay. when you run it through one time, the data that goes into that placeholder is one thing. And when you run it another time, the okay. data that goes into the placeholder is the other. Okay, good. So, that makes sense. Yes. So Shema basically has to know, is this a file I just copy blindly? Or is this a file I have to process to translate it from a template to an actual output? And so that is an attribute. Am I plain text or am I a template? Right, right. And there are other attributes, like should I be read and write? Should I be read only? They're also attributes. So the obvious next thing to do is to install Shamois. Oh, good. So the actual docs list the most amazing array of ways of installing something I have ever seen. (laughs) If you are on Windows, you have loads of options. If you're on a Mac, you have loads of options. If you're on Linux, you have loads and loads and loads and loads of options. It's in every. It's basically in every package manager I can think of, and so here in Macland, for me, the only package manager worth mentioning is Homebrew. So for me, installing Shemois is brew space install space Shemois. So if you can speak French, you can do it. Well, yes. <laughs> or copy and or paste. Copy paste. <laughs> so once you have it installed, regardless of how you got it from, we're ready to get stuck in. So the first thing to say is the structure of a Shamrock command is the same as the structure of a git command. So do you remember when we talked about the first time we met git, we said it used the command subcommand design pattern. Right. So it's git space subcommand space blah, blah, blah. Right. So it's you're telling it, I'm going to be talking git and then the thing you want to do. Correct. And so Shamrock follows exactly the same structure, which again, it's very inspired by git. So that's not surprising. But if we're going to be really picky about it, Git is the same, by the way. It's Shema optionally followed by some global flags, followed by a subcommand, optionally followed by some more flags and arguments. 
So a global command can be something like minus minus verbose, right? So you would say shamos space minus minus verbose and then the subcommand. And git has the same sort of a model. So let's get a little bit less abstract and let's actually tell Shema that we'd like to start using it. So the first thing you have to do is you have to create a source directory effectively. And you do that by saying Shema space init. And what you will see it do is initialized empty git repository in slash user slash whatever your username is dot local slash share slash Shema forward slash dot git. Proving that it really is git under the hood. So at this point in time, Shema is ready to go, but its source state is utterly empty. It is managing nothing. Now, it's a very obvious thing to want to know at any point in the future, what is and what isn't being managed? So the subcommand to list everything being managed is managed. So you can say Shema space managed and it will list everything it's caring about, which right now is the world's longest list of length zero. <laughs> It also has a very, very useful opposite command, which is everything it isn't managing that's sitting there in your home directory. So that will be shame while space unmanaged. And that's pretty good every now and then to have a little look-see to see um, if there's anything that you probably should be managing. Oh, okay. So let me do that. No, shame while managed is nothing and unmanaged. It should be everything we saw in our dot directory, right? And even more, because Shema doesn't actually care if it's hidden or not. So Shema will offer you your documents folder, your pictures folder. Oh, Shema will offer you everything it finds in your home directory. At the top level of the home directory. At yeah, the the applications, home directory. everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if it wasn't for the fact that I'm under extreme pressure and work at the moment, we would go a little further today and we would add our first file. But I sort of ran out of time and I, I really was thinking of you because you're going to say, oh, but Bart, you let me post the horse and I didn't get to take it out of the barn. Yes. Well, I get and it wasn't in the show notes until about lunchtime. So I let your horse get its nose out of the barn. <laughs> that is such a tease, Bart. <laughs> I know I'm being very mean. So the next step in the process here is to add some files and to start managing them. And the next step after that is to start to manage them on multiple computers by connecting our local schema up to a remote Git repository. Ooh. And once you do that, the need for templates becomes really obvious because you want to do subtly different things on the different computers. So that's going to be our, our journey through this. First, we'll just do the easy stuff, just manage some files locally. There's no need for templates because there's one computer involved. We want it to be like this. Okay, make it like this. Then we're going to synchronize it up to Git, and then we're going to do templates so that we can actually customize. Do you our mean files synchronize it up computer. to GitHub? Well, you could use any Git service, but yeah, we'll be using GitHub. Okay, but you said synchronize it up to Git. I wanted to make sure we, you, you meant using Git, but we're going to send it somewhere, some server. Right. I mean, you could send it to your NAS, you could send sure. it to a server you own, you could send it to any service like GitLab or Microsoft DevOps, whatever you like. But yeah, we, we're going to use Git to send it to a server somewhere. Um, probably a good idea to use a private repository. Just saying. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's where we're going. And then once we have it on more than one computer, then the then the power of templates becomes obvious. And so then we can explore templating. 
Actually, that's so that's a really good point. Um, if we do need to be private, say, with our private SSH keys. <laughs> I would not use Shema to store the actual keys. I would store those in one password. And I would use Shema only to store the configuration for Git. Okay, so why do we care about it being private then? Uh, because I don't necessarily, I am not certain that there is nothing that there are certainly in my case server names and things. Okay. That I, you know, my, we don't publish our Active Directory to the world. Mm-hmm. There are host names from our Active Directory in my, in some of yeah, my why, files. Why, why give that tasty, those tasty little morsels to start with? But that does require a paid for GitHub account, I believe, to have. It does. Oh, you can have five or something? There is Private. a finite amount. Okay. Actually, I think in the most recent update, they made it infinity. No. It, really? it used to be three, and then it was five, and then it may have been seven, but I have the distinct, I have a vague memory of them saying, actually, you can have unlimited free. But I haven't had a free GitHub account in forever because I want to pay them because I want them to do well. Let's see. Free Um, unlimited public private repositories. Zero dollars per month. There you go. So they've made it unlimited, which is very generous of them. So no excuse. (laughs) Okay, good, good. That's why I I just wanted to check on that. I thought we had talked about there being a limit before, but... uh, Oh, Good. there definitely was. There I, absolutely was. I'd be really curious to see whether in uh, my play environment, whether I've got any reason to have any different configuration on one computer over another. I suspect I will not. Because I am just me. I don't have a work me and a play me. I have some things where I have directories I use for things that are named slightly different on different computers because I set them up at different times and moving it around would be way too much hassle. And so I actually just have like, I have templates that have like, if hostname equals Bart Mac, do this, else do that. So basically I have a folder where I keep my temp stuff and it's not the same place on my two Macs. (laughs) And I could just do it in a template because it's less, it's easier to do it in a template than to reorganize everything. (laughs) Well, it'll be interesting to see whether uh, those of us listening do that or uh, whether it all ends up being the same. But I'm yeah, looking I'm, forward I'm to that. Curious, but yeah. Okay. I, well, I do that, think this was terribly is... mean of you. Um, I, I, re- I do apologize. It was it was slightly meaner before. If that's any consolation. <laughs> we got to type two commands. That was exciting. No, three, three, three. That's really? right. So before we go, I, I do want to say uh, we mentioned our Slack a bunch of times. It's podfeet.com slash Slack. And the channel is uh, PBS is where you'll find all the programming by stealth uh, nerdiness going on. Indeedy. Although the, the general channel is great. The security channel is great. They're all great. Yeah. Lots of fun in there. Delete me is fun. I love delete. Delete me is weird. You don't know what you're going to get. It's never, it's never NSFW. Because nope. it's a nice community, but. You don't know what it'll be. <laughs> and that's the whole point. That's what I love about it. It's just like, ooh, let's roll the dice and see what people are doing today. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, until next time, you have a lovely holiday, Alison, and everyone else, happy computing. If you learn as much from Bart each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. 
I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.